Testing. We're ready. Did y'all hear me at all at first, the first part? Okay. Um, All right, so Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. Um, As always, this is God's good and holy word. It stands over us. Uh, It is for our benefit and for our good. Therefore, let us give our attention to it. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that his divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked but others said we will hear you again about this so Paul went out from their midst but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. This is God's word. Let me pray for us and pray for our time this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, as always, um, we are thankful for your goodness and your mercy to us. Um, As always, we need your direction. Uh, We need your guidance. We need your spirit uh, to be at work, uh, that you would help us this morning uh, to see you, um, 
to hear again the good news of the gospel in your kingdom and to be changed by it. Um, We ask, Jesus, that you would be merciful to us, that you this morning would be our teacher, uh, that you would use me, even me, a sinner, to proclaim the excellencies of your kingdom. Lord, will we come away with a greater vision of you and your love for us? But not only that, a greater vision of you and your love for this world and the lost. So we ask, God, that you would move in our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, that we might receive your word with meekness and humility. And Father, even as I'm preaching, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to me, um, that you would change my heart, that you would continue to work. Uh, in me as well as us all, to mature us uh, into the image of Christ, into the image of yourself. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You're all going to hell. That's a terrible way to begin a sermon, I know. But that was the experience that I had as a student at LSU, um, as we would have these teachers or these preachers come to LSU during Religious Emphasis Week, and they would stand in the quad, and um, these guys would pretty much just be shouting um, at people, preaching at people, and just kind of, you know, students are walking by class, um, and these guys would be like, young man, you're going to hell. You're going to hell, young lady. Look at what you're wearing. You're going to hell. And it's just kind of like over and over again, these guys kind of provoke people to get into just arguments and discussions and battles with them so that they could kind of make this scene. Um, And I'm sure in these guys' minds, you know, they were preaching the gospel. They were telling people about their sin. They were telling people about judgment. They were telling people about Jesus. But what I also observed from that is that for people who are not Christians, the way they saw these men oftentimes preaching is that, you know, that that, that there is no way um, they would ever want to be a Christian if That is what Christianity is about. That if it's about, you know, just kind of this us versus them mentality, which Christianity is often presented as, then there's no way I would want to take part of that. So if you think about, like, just the TV show The Office, for example, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's a character on there who's a Christian. And her, like, character is, you know, she's mostly known by what she doesn't do. She's a Christian, so um, she doesn't, you know, drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't, you know, whatever kind of the cultural Christianity of where they live is. And so she just doesn't do all these things. She's known by what she is against more than anything else. That I'm a Christian, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. That's probably something of your experience with Christianity growing up. I know it was mine um, that, you know, there are times in my life where there have been Christians who have said to me, you know, you're a Christian, um, so you can't listen to secular music. Or you're a Christian, so you can't go to movies. Or you're a Christian, so you can't do this. And y'all, like, I want you to see that that feeds into this idea of it's just us versus them. That if, you know, I pressed my friend on you know, that idea of this dichotomy between secular and sacred. I don't think he really would have had an answer for me. 
But because I felt this guy really knows God and he's holy, then I'll go along with him. And if you think that, like if you think that it's just all about you standing against something of you not engaging in secular activities, you are you're thinking wrongly about the faith that is bigger than that. And it's always strange. I don't know if y'all know this. It's always only applied to music. Like, so I burned, I burned all my, like, James Brown CDs, and I had classical music. Well, is this guy a Christian? Nope. I got to toss that out. Um, and, like, y'all, you have to realize you don't do that for anything else. Like, for example, who made your iPhones? Who made those pants you were wearing? Who made the books that you're reading? That if you think about that idea of that there's just this world for Christians and there's this world for secular people, Y'all, that is a wrong-headed view of thinking about what the Christian life is about. And that's where Paul takes us in this passage and shows us in this passage that the good news is not just about us and the way God relates to us as individuals, but the way God works and moves toward the world. Um, That God and the gospel and Jesus are about the redemption of all things. And you see that in this passage that Paul presents a way for us to approach the world, to love uh, people who are, you know, sinners, who are in the world, who are in need of hope, and who are in need of grace and truth with Jesus. That we see in this passage, Paul, first and foremost, he goes to this culture, he sees the sin and idolatry of it, Uh, Secondly, we see that Paul goes to this culture, and while seeing that sin and idolatry, he moves towards the culture in grace and truth. He doesn't retreat from it. And then finally, we see that Paul uh, goes towards the culture in grace and truth to proclaim Jesus and the good news of the gospel. So one, Paul sees the sin and idolatry of this culture. Paul goes to the culture in grace and truth. And three, Paul proclaims Jesus and the gospel. So you have in Acts 17, Paul in Athens. Um, at this point, he's been on, you know, this is the second missionary journey. Um, he is going places. He's planting churches. Um, and he gets to Athens. And the text tells us that now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols that this city was filled with all of these images of gods and statues of gods that the Athenians worshipped. That one person in commenting on this culture in Athens said that it was more likely to find a god than to find a man in Athens. That there were, it was littered with all of these gods that you could worship. So there's the god of war, There's the God of sex, there's the God of love, there's the God of fertility, that every God was worshipped. That all of these false gods that these people had constructed and built up was the air and breath of this city and this culture. And you see Paul see this as an apostle, and it tells us his spirit is provoked that he is troubled, that he is angered in a lot of ways. Why? Because you have a place where people are longing to know God and know what God is like. 
and yet there are all these false images and representations of God. That God is not glorified in these things. That he sees this world that is marked by sin and idolatry, and he recognizes it. That's certainly something to say to us about the way we live and the world we live in. Um, We do this all the time. Like, it is so easy and not too difficult to figure out the things that are wrong with this world, the things that are wrong with us. And especially in light of the many events that have been happening over the past few months, you see sin. You see idolatry. Um, I work at the college campus at A&M, and you see it. But it's not only just on college campuses. You guys see this in your workplaces. You see this as you walk these streets, that there is sin and there is idolatry in this world. And, and what's strange about it is, like, sometimes we, we seem to be surprised that sinners sin. Like, we seem to be surprised that there is, you know, injustice in authority uh, structures. We seem to be surprised that people turn their backs on the word of God. We seem to be surprised when people redefine marriage. We seem to be surprised when there is murder, when there is strife, when there is warfare, when there is so many things going on in this world. And y'all, we as Christians should know that this is what the Bible says about us, that we are sinners, that we are broken, that we are fallen. And that's what sinners do. Sinners sin. And you see in this passage, Paul sees these idols, and he sees the ways that these people are worshiping and living, and it's troubling to him. But rather than retreat, rather than, you know, write a Facebook status, you know, condemning somebody or tweeting something that condemns, you know, homosexuality or whatever it is, whatever hot button issue you love, we see Paul actually move toward this people in grace and truth. That, yes, I know that's wrong that they worship these false gods and false idols, but rather than run from them, I'm going to actually do the hard thing of going to them in grace and truth. And 17 tells us he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know this new teaching, what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new that what's happening there is that there's this huge you know organization society set up for presenting and proclaiming philosophy or religion or some new teaching that that Mars Hill was kind of the center point of you know education or culture or you know all things that are advanced technologically And Paul has this great opportunity 
to go before these people, and they pretty much are saying to him, all right, you tell us about this Jesus character. That it's kind of like the, the Super Bowl of speech and debate tournaments. That he's saying, go ahead, you tell us about your God. Tell us about, you know, what it is that you want to say. You, can, you, have, you have the floor, and everybody's listening, and everybody's tuned in. And notice, like Paul doesn't say, you're all going to hell. He could have said that. But he moves to them in grace and in truth. He says, men, and, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That in other words, he's saying, you understand something. That you get something right. I see that you are striving and searching and seeking for something that is deeper than this reality, than this life, than this world. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. That Paul is saying, listen, I know that you guys are groping for a substance. That you want to hold on to something that is significant that you realize that there is something that is beyond you, that something is greater than you, and you're grasping by your limited human means to try to make sense of it. But he doesn't stop there. That he shows them, like, this unknown God that you are longing to worship, I'm going to tell you the truth about him. I'm going to tell you the truth about him, that, that he is the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven, and earth, and he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from one of us, from each one of us. That Paul, in those few verses, teaches us so much about God and teaches us so much about ourselves. That Paul, in those few verses, teaches us that God is creator, that he made all things, that he put all things together, that God doesn't need us. I know Christians, we think that sometimes, but he really doesn't need us. He will get glory. And God invites us to be a part of that. God brings us to his family and uses us to receive glory. And it's for our good. Paul also teaches us about the fact that God made every nation from one man. And that is, you know, something we don't think about a lot. Because most of our children's Bibles have, you know, Adam looking like, you know, Pierce Brosnan or Tom Cruise or Channing Tatum, and y'all, like, Adam was not. Adam had the blood of every race in his body. He was multi-ethnic. That for every shade and hue and every people group in this world, y'all, that blood was in Adam. But you have to realize that. That's why racism is wrong. Adam is our father. Eve is our mother. We all come from them. And Paul is saying, listen, we all are from this one man. And God has put us in various places, and in his providence has put us in those places in distinct times. 
And his hope and desire for us is that his people would come to him and turn to him. And Paul is saying, listen, you get some things right about God, but let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you where you go astray. That notice it's not just Paul saying, oh, you can believe whatever you want. It's not tolerance. You can just do whatever you want. Paul is saying, listen, you get this part right, but let me tell you where you're wrong. And then as the ultimate argument, Paul goes and uses and quotes their philosophers and their poets. That he is saying to them, listen, this is what your poets are saying. In your Bibles, you might have this in uh, quotes or indented, but it says, in him we live and move and have our being. That is not in the Bible. That is from a poet of the time. And even as some of your poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring, again, that Paul is saying, I am familiar enough with your culture to know where you get things wrong. And I'm going to divert you and bring you back to the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. That Paul, in other words, is quoting the Lady Gaga's of his day and the Kendrick Lamar's of his day. That he knows, okay, this is what this culture is grasping for. And y'all, if you just lob kind of bullets or lob grenades, you know, just kind of like, oh, well, homosexuality is sin. Or um, injustice is not that bad. Big deal. You should have just listened to the police. Or um, abortion is wrong. Or whatever it is. If you just lob those kind of socio-political comments that people make all the time, then I'm going to say to you, you are not loving people in grace and truth that Paul moves towards the world in grace and truth. That is the same thing that our Savior did. That if there is anyone who was able to lob grenades of judgment, it's Jesus. That if there is anyone who was to condemn us to hell, and rightly so, because of our sin, it's God himself. And what does God do? God comes down, God takes on flesh, God is humiliated, he's rejected, he's even killed by us. For what purpose? That we might be sons and daughters. That we might be the children of God. That we might be those who know the grace and love of God and mercy of God to sinners. That that makes us humble. That apart from God's grace, y'all, you would be doing the same thing. I would turn away from God. I would reject God wholeheartedly if it were not for God's grace to me. And that good news, y'all, is not just for me, but it's for everybody. That is something you cannot keep to yourself, that God is moving toward this world in grace and in truth. And this is what Paul is showing us, that, that God is... For us, that God wants us to delight in him and to delight in the good news of his gospel. That he is showing us in many ways that, listen, I have come to deal with sin. I've come to bring truth and I have come to bring righteousness. And Paul moves toward the Athenians in grace and truth. That is actually harder to love in this way. It is so easy to say, well, I disagree with you and move on. But Paul moves toward these people in love and grace and truth. 
to get to the place where he can preach the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And that's our final point. It's what we see um, in verses 29 through 34, that being in God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Um, I think it's very fascinating that in all the things that Paul could have talked to these people about in the gospel, um, that he focuses on the resurrection. Like, like I think about this fashion and I wonder, like, why didn't you start with, you know, like, start with the virgin birth or something? Why didn't you start with Jesus walking on water? That will hook people in. Um, why didn't you start with, you know, him feeding 5,000 or doing some, some other miracle? Why does Paul start with the resurrection? And again, the context of this culture, the idolatry of this culture, influenced the way that he spoke about the gospel. That for Epicureans and Stoics, that one of the things they believe was that, like, there's no life after this. That once you die, that's it. But they said, well, since you're going to die, you might as well just party hard. You might as well just do you and chill. Because there's nothing after this. So indulge the flesh. Do whatever you want. Because there is no life after this. And we see in 18 that, verse 18, Paul talks about Jesus and the resurrection again. And so, like, it's this idea that Paul is speaking to what their idols or what they thought they were getting from their idols. That their idols told them, you're not going to live after this, so live how you want to live. Or reject the body or reject the idea of, you know, physical reality. And Paul is saying, no. The gospel speaks to that. Your body matters. What you do with your body matters. What you do in this life matters, not only for this life, but eternity. That the gospel speaks not only to just what happens to you in this world and what Jesus has done for you in this world, but it speaks to the fact that you have eternal life, that that is yours in Christ. And in thinking about those things, I wonder what it would be that Paul would say to us. You know, like, what will Paul say to me in my idolatry? What will Paul say to you in your idolatry? What will Paul say to America in its idolatry? That Paul might talk about the resurrection, of course, but he might talk about the fact of, you know, how we are so self-sufficient and we rely on being educated and we value education and we value, you know, all these things, the American dream. And Paul would say to you, Jesus speaks to that. That your sense of, of longing and wanting to be connected and wanting to be loved is all found in Christ. Your idols will fail you. Jesus won't. That in any situation and condition that it is we find ourselves clamoring for, Paul is showing us that the gospel meets those needs, it addresses those needs, 
And Jesus is all you need. That Tim Keller, when he talks about the gospel, he says the gospel has the versatility to address the particular hopes, fears, and idols of every culture and every person. The gospel has the versatility to address the particular hopes, fears, and idols of every culture and every person. And it's what Paul is showing the Athenians. Now listen, everything you're looking for is found in Jesus. That you, you know, value sex or you value uh, feeling powerful or you value whatever it is. Let me tell you about the God who reorients you to think rightly about these things and to find all those things in him. Let me tell you about the God who meets you where you are and who changes you through his love, through his grace, through his truth. Let me tell you about the God who will judge the world, who will end injustice, who will end oppression, who will reign in righteousness and glory. Let me tell you about the God who will give you family, his people. Let me tell you about the God who will use you for his good and for for your good and for his kingdom and for his glory. Let me tell you about the God who loves you more than you love yourself. Let me tell you about the God who is patient, who is kind, who is faithful, who will not forsake you. He will not leave you. And that is Jesus. And Paul gets this beautiful opportunity to proclaim Jesus. And of course, it's always the way or the response that, you know, when the gospel is proclaimed, we see in 32 through 34 that some hear the resurrection of the dead and they mock. Um, Others say we will hear you again about this. Paul goes out. But 34 leaves us with saying some men joined him and believed among whom were all were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. That is pointing out the fact that God's word will go forth, that the good news is for not only us, but it's also for the world. And it is our hope in the midst of you know, a world that is in many ways perishing and a world that God will ultimately restore. Um, so it's good news for us. It's good news for the world. Let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us um, and that you move, move toward us. Um, That while we were um, yet sinners, you died for the ungodly, your word tells us. Um, That while we were unrighteous, um, you made us righteous. And that through faith, By your grace, um, we ask, God, for hearts um, that lovingly engage with the world, um, that we don't set aside truth, but that we lovingly engage the world in grace and truth, uh, knowing that you are at work, knowing that you are um, in the business of building your kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We pray, Father, that you would give us faith um, to trust you, to trust your word, um, to trust your gospel, uh, to never be uh, bored by it because it is the most beautiful uh, news. 
Um, We pray, Jesus, that we would see you as our Savior and not our idols, um, that you would tear them down in our hearts. Um, Please continue to work in us. Uh, Please give us faith to trust your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.